Man, we're in Revelation chapter 21. We're all the way to near, we're nearing the end of that chapter. You want to turn there right now. And there's only one more chapter after that. So praise God. We're getting closer and closer. And uh, when we look at verse 21, it's just very, very interesting verse. And uh, I just, <laughs> I'm floored by the Bible, man. It just blows me away. I've been studying it for years and years and years. I love to do, uh, you know, studies on typology, pictures, uh, intertextualism, how all the scriptures relate together. And you just see the mind of God. It just blows you away. And then as you see the mind of God, he wants us to have the mind of Christ. And as you have the mind of Christ, you begin to apply his word to your life because you're looking at things through his lenses. And when you fear the Lord and you love him and you know him and you know how he is, you know what his attributes are and what his character is like, uh, and then you realize that you're to become like him, it really allows you to become like him and live the life that he's called you to live. But verse 21, I wanted to cover more verses, and I may cover the rest of the verses next week. We'll see, Lord willing. But I couldn't get out of verse 21. In fact, I shortened my message. I had uh, several, several, I shouldn't say several, but four or five pages that I just said, mm, I'm not gonna preach those today. Because uh, this verse is just so inspiring when you really look at what's going on here. And some people just see pearly gates, you know, streets of gold, you know. And they say, oh, pearly gates, that's interesting. And, but man, there's so much that could be said about it, that, you know, meat that I had to leave on the bone. Because you have to follow themes. You have to follow biblical imagery uh, throughout the Bible to understand the significance, especially when you're dealing with the book of Revelation, which has over 300 allusions to the Old Testament. And many, of course, the rest of the New Testament just is all brought together here. It's the, it's the Omega book, Alpha, Omega. It's the Omega book. It's a climactic book. And this verse right here, I've just prayed that God would speak to your heart through it, that he speak to you and realize that this is all about you, this verse, okay, and what the Lord is doing and all about his glory through you. And when you get your mind around what God's doing, like I said, it translates into your walk, how you live your life, how you treat others. I can't... I read the word and see the magnificence of God and it just transforms us because we want to be like him, amen, and we realize what he's done for us and we love him because he first loved us. We also learn to love others because of how he's loved us, amen. That becomes instructive. The cross has become incredibly instructive. That's why I emphasize so much God's attributes, who he is, the cross, because as you dwell on who he is, you're transformed, it says. As we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word, and Jesus, the word made flesh, and this is his breathed word, amen. We become like him as we look to him. So that's why we focus so much on scripture, you know. I don't give you 55 anecdotal things. I don't give you, I, I try to get, stay in the word. That's because it's what's breathed by the spirit of God. And it says we're sanctified by his word. So as we focus on his word, we're transformed, amen. And I like to use some good anecdotes and so, so forth and uh, all those things, but only to support what he's saying here. So you understand the depth. The Lord wants us to understand the height, depth, width, and length. Paul prays that of his love for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. And when you see that love, the Bible says we love him because what? He first loved us. And he was forgiven much, Jesus said. Loves much. So I focus on the cross and who he is. Then it helps me live my life. Because you begin to drip and ooze his love. You start, Wow. It's amazing, and then you get to see your own inadequacies in light of that love, and then you cry out to God to change you, transform you, 
to make you more Christ-like, amen? The Holy Spirit works on you through his word, but also through his wooing and his, his conviction and encouragement, amen? So in Revelation chapter 21, last time, and this is important to really understand, we looked at the 12 foundation stones, remember that? And do you remember that kind of fancy word when we looked at the stones and how uh, they were different, the, the types of stones they were? When you look at all the precious gems in the world, he only took a specific kind of stone when he listed 12 stones that make it. And I don't want to read through the passage uh, that we've already covered because I've got a lot to cover here and I want to get done on time as close as possible, you know. I always give or take a few minutes, but usually it's take a few minutes, I admit, you know, very rarely, uh, or, or, or uh, <laughs> go, try to go short, but uh, I'm glad in Jesus' day, they didn't have a watch. You've got to be done at this time, Jesus. If you're two minutes late, Jesus, you're busted. In fact, he was considered days late at one point, you know, so, uh, so we're not real, but I try to get around because I don't really believe the Holy Spirit saying be done exactly at this time, Joe, because we have clocks now. I honestly don't feel that way. I, I feel, get in what the Lord, Lord wants me to say, amen. But I at the same time want to be uh, respectful of people that are waiting upstairs and watching the kids and stuff so we're not 20 minutes late, amen. Because sometimes I'll say that and some people say, just keep going, just keep going. I'm like, well, you're not doing nursery, you know. <laughs> I love you, I have the same sentiment, I want to keep going, you know. But we're not, we're not doing nursery. Anyway, it's important for us to understand that what the scriptures reveal in the end is this city that comes down from heaven looking like a gemstone. The whole city looks like a gemstone. God's given us gems in nature to teach us lessons. I have no doubt about that in my mind. I don't even wonder about that because he compares his people to, his, to jewels. And even, with the, even the angels, like Satan, is adorned with various jewels, some of the jewels that are mentioned here. And last time we looked at these 12 jewels, and we noticed that certain jewels weren't on there. Certain precious stones like rubies and diamonds weren't on that list of 12 stones. And I point out to you, they are isotropic jewels. They don't, they don't, they don't communicate pure light. So if pure light goes through them, you, I showed you a picture of diamonds, rubies, and stuff. Pure light, you put pure light on those stones, they just turn black. They don't get, you know, wow, what happened? But, and God is pure light, amen. God is light, the Bible says, in him is no darkness at all. But the anisotropic gems, they transmit true light. And I showed you them under pure light, for lack of a better term, and they just light up and become brilliant. And it, the jewels themselves become dazzling rainbows. Isn't that amazing? And I'm not saying there won't be, you know, some kind of anisotropic, you know, uh, diamond. God can do that right up there as well because we're just talking about the foundation stones. I think there'll be all kinds of things. The streets will be made of gold, amen? So God's doing different things. But the city foundations, when it comes down, you'll just see just rainbow, just beauty, just and the foundation stones. And it's amazing because... When you look at the names that are in the stones and you look at the names that are in the gates, you have the 12 names of the apostles, you have the 12 names of, of, the, of the tribes of Israel representing God's people. And remember we talked about how on the breastplate, what was on the breastplate? 12 stones, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. God was saying, you are on my heart. And the high priest would go represent the Lord in the Holy Holies. And he was a picture of the one mediator because God would become a man and become the ultimate high priest. And he would bear our sins on, for, for, uh, on the cross, amen? And the high priest had to give atonement for the people, right? He had to, you know, sacrifice and, on the day of atonement and represent the people. But Jesus sacrificed himself 
for us. And you are the jewels that are born on God's heart. You are treasured. It's just amazing. So we just have something really deep going on with the very jewels that God selects. I told you the chances are about one in a thousand, probably far more remote than that, that God, that those would be a coincidence that those 12 stones specifically uh, out of all the stones that could have been chosen would have been chosen. It's not a coincidence. I don't believe. I believe God has something in, in mind. There's something that I haven't commented on, but maybe it should be addressed regarding those 12 stones. Not, I did mention how they correspond uh, roughly to the 12 stones on the breastplate. There's eight that are the same. There's four uh, that, could, that, that seem that they could be different for whatever reasons, but many scholars point out that the, the, the names for the other four stones uh, in the Hebrew uh, versus, the, it could just simply be a, uh, the same stones, but the words that are used lost in translation, so to speak, or in languages, differences, because some of the words are used for different stones and so forth. So that's kind of interesting. I don't hang my hat on that, but I do say this. It's kind of interesting. Other people point out that the 12 stones that are mentioned, they're actually an absolute reversal, one-to-one -one ratio reversal, actually the very opposite of the city of the gods of the Egyptians. And some believe God is making a commentary against the Egyptians with this as well and saying, hey, this is God's kingdom, not the city of pagan demon gods, you know, which is a possibility, but there's a problem with that. And a lot of people, they, they write a lot about that. But for me, there's a problem with that. And the problem is that the Egyptologists that came up with the list of 12, the opposite of the book Revelation, uh, never told us where he got that source. And nobody's been able to find it. That those 12 stones are used in reverse in Egyptology. And we don't know if it was a story he heard or some manuscript he read, right? But so you can't really bank on, on that. And so the very foundation of that idea is in question. What's not in question is that God's using 12 beautiful, precious stones, right, uh, to represent his people in the new Jerusalem. And now we get to verse 21. And the 12 gates, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. <laughs> pearls are beautiful, by the way. If you can, there, there's all kinds of different shades and colors of pearls. And they're just gorgeous. Each one of the gates was a what? Single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So it's really interesting because he says it was like, or it was pure gold like transparent glass. So God's giving us a type of gold that we've never seen, obviously. And remember, our bodies will be resurrected and be transcendent way beyond what they were before as well, right? Everything's going to be made new, it says. So it's going to be way beyond the gold of this world. That's amazing. And there'll be this main, <laughs> which is kind of interesting when you look at it, because in verse uh, 21, he says, uh, and the street of the city, like the main thoroughfare coming out by the throne of God, which is the river of life comes out of God's throne. And there's this huge, beautiful gold street that's also translucent. And I like that it's translucent because we keep reading about this translucence. There's no secrets, amen? And God's light just infuses and lights up. We read that there's no need of the sun. The city gates are open all day long. And then it says there's no night there. So just constantly open because there's no danger. There's no thieves. There's no murderers. There's no serial killers, right? Just God-loving people just that filled with his Holy Spirit have been made per perfect. And the streets are translucent. It's just amazing. But I want to focus more on these 
pearls. By the way, these pearls, I mean, you're looking at 144 by 144. You know, when we took about the cubits, it's like huge city, right? We talked about it being wider than the conjoined states of, uh, half of the conjoined states of the United States. I mean, it's the city itself. And then that high, that high as long as, well as that wide. And you can, the walls we looked at, they're like 250 feet tall. That's huge. And walls, the gate, city gates correspond typically to the walls, right? So that would mean, I'm not, not 250 feet, I'm talking about uh, the, the gates correspond to the walls, which would make the gates, I'm sorry, 250 feet in diameter. So that's like a 250 foot pearl gate, 12 of them. Now, it's like, wow, that's a lot of pearls to make the gate. No, each one's made from a single pearl. Now, where does God get these pearls? There's a lot going on in the universe, guys. I don't know if he has a big ocean somewhere. And he's like, you guys are going to trip. But that would be an easy thing for him to do, right? I mean, he just spoke in the universe and you came into existence. He's powerful, man. So I don't know exactly how he's doing it, but he's going to make all things new. And, but there's something else going on. Because these pearls, I have no doubt in my mind, are a picture of you and me and believers and what God wants us to become. This weekend, I saw this headline news, you know, uh, a, a big old ship, they found it's all of its wreckage. And there'd been some scavengers that had picked up or scavenging that had been done that picked up certain jewels through the years, but they didn't realize this is where this specific Miravilla shipwreck took place, uh, a Spanish shipwreck in the 1600s uh, and uh, right by the, in the Bahamas. And this vessel sunk. And for more than 360 years, article states, archaeologists and adventurers have attempted to locate the debris that, the debris that was lost in the wreckage. The treasure from the ship was estimated 3.5 million pieces. Enhanced GPS and metal detecting has allowed Allen exploration to bring to the surface riches beyond imagination. Well, through God's GPS, amen, we've got riches that make those riches, which are temporal and passing, look like just a bunch of manure, okay? And we get to look at through lenses of God's word and revelation of where we're headed, amen? That, and, and the cool thing is, it's like, we don't have to go over there to try to get rich, man. We're rich in Christ, amen? We will walk on streets of gold. And it's interesting because when we look at verse 21, let's look more closely at it. Uh, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. Now, it's interesting because... When you look at the earlier, he talks about the names on the 12 of the, uh, there were three gates, verse 13 back up. There were three gates on the east and three on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were 12 names, the, the, the 12 apostles of the lamb. And we're told that the uh, names of the gates have the names of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel in this chapter, which is interesting. And now Israel and the church are brought together, amen? And we are all making up, we all make Israel and the church, we become, all become the bride of Christ. All, there's not a two wives and God's a two-timer bigamist. No, we're all, we become grafted into uh, the olive tree, remember? But that doesn't mean that Israel loses its identity as the state of Israel, okay? Israel still maintains its identity, but Gentiles and Jews become one in Christ, right? God's not partial, it says, 
and in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, so we're all one in him. It's a very, very beautiful picture when you look at how all the people of God will be together. Isn't it great when you get together with other believers and you're worshiping and you go to a Christian concert and you have you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people worshiping God together? Well, imagine it with millions of people from all different walks of life, you know, but all walking on the one spiritual walk, which is Jesus. Amen. So it's interesting here, these pearls, these precious stones, okay? Uh, and it's important for you and I to understand, which I think is just amazing, is Jules, I did a message years ago, and I was tempted to just do a lot of that, some of that same stuff again, but I thought, no, I'm going to focus more on pearls, but because it's so fascinating to me, is that this is God's, the earth is God's treasure island, so to speak, Okay? The earth is God's jewelry factory. And you are far more precious than any physical jewels on the earth, which will all be melted down, okay? They're a picture of what God's doing in you. Oftentimes throughout scripture, God uses silver and gold, precious metals that were incredibly praised and prized, not only in biblical times and in ancient times, but today as a picture of us. Job said, I know that when God's done with me, I will come forth like gold. And Peter says, not to think it a strange thing regarding the fire trial that is testing you. And he says earlier in that book that God's bringing forth faith like gold, right? And the interesting thing is, is that gold is just a hunk of dirt mixed with beautiful potential in, the, in, the, in gold. And the gold is purified, not necessarily dirt, but a mixture of different minerals, which like dirt. And then the gold is purified in heat, and it's melted. And the goldsmith separates the dregs and the, the, the impurities from the gold through intense heat until he gets the gold. And as he works over his cauldron, and he's melting it, he sees his reflection in the cauldron, and he sees all these specks and this dirt in the midst of it, and he just plucks it out. He takes it out until he sees his reflection in gold. And that's what God is doing with us. He uses the trials that we go through, whether it's, you know, a car accident, whether it's a relationship struggle you go through, whether it's having a hard time, you know, in school and maybe getting a bad grade, or maybe it's a neighbor or a friend that's hurt you or is mistreating you. Maybe it's a physical sickness or ailment that you might be going through. He uses those things, those fiery trials, to get us to seek him. And as we cry out to him through those trials, he takes those impurities out of our lives. Because one thing that happens when you go through trials, you start to become aware of your own weaknesses, amen? If you're going through something really harsh and maybe you're being mistreated by someone, you start to realize maybe you're being tempted with ungodly thoughts. Maybe anger that you give the devil a foothold and you start entertaining bad thoughts toward that person rather than praying for them. And God shows you that impurity. And if you're seeking Christ to your trial, then you confess. Here's what you do. It's how you do this in your life. You say, wow, God, I'm seeing this really terrible thing oozing up in my heart. That's the flesh. Every single human being here is connected to, or we have that flesh. When we come to Christ, we're supposed to count that old man dead, right? But he always says, please let me come back. Let me tell you how to handle that situation. I'll make you feel better, you know? And then you maybe adopt bitterness. Okay, bitterness, we say, is a pill that people swallow that really only hurts themselves 
more than anybody else. It's a poison that you swallow that really hurts you the most. Is, but what happens is when you see those things surface in your life, then you identify them. And the Lord says that, he convicts you by his spirit, that needs to be removed so you can become like gold. Then you say, I cast that down. I, I, I repent of that. Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me of that. Cleanse me. He cleanses you. And then you adopt a prayerful attitude. You pray for that person. You show love to that person. You don't curse them, but you bless them. Right? Amen? And in doing that, guess what? You get blessed. Amen? And that's how you have to handle your, your tough situations with people and circumstances. You have to bring it before the Lord. And when you have a bad attitude that pops up, you need to bring it before the Lord and identify it and say, Lord, he's identifying, he's convicting you, but you need to acquiesce and say, yes, Lord, wow, that's wrong of me to have that attitude. Please take that away from me. And he'll purify you. He'll forgive you. And he'll sanctify you. And he'll make you more and more like silver and more and more like gold. And he'll be, you'll be more, become more and more like Jesus. Amen? So it's imperative that we look at what God's doing with these precious jewels and we say, how does this apply to my life? Joe, I'm not having a hard time with a person, you know. It's not about forgiveness and, and mercy and becoming more like Jesus. And I'm just going through a hard time because I just feel crushed lately. I just feel like there's so much pressure in what I'm going through. It's so hard. You know, like our sister that asked us to pray for her, Victoria. You know, she feels like she's crushed in her circumstances. But you know what a di how you make a diamond? Intense pressure. Intense pressure. And it's really weird because... A diamond starts off as a dirty, ugly piece of coal just made for the fire. Isn't that interesting? Before we come to Christ, man, we're just dirty pieces of coal that deserve to be thrown in the fire. Fuel for the fires of hell. But we go through what the Bible calls trials and tribulation. Thlipsis. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S -S is the Greek transliteration of the word. Thlipsis means, uh, is translated trial, tribulation. And that word originally meant to be Crushed between two rocks. Pressure. What's those pressures in your life that are so painful that God uses to transform you from being a dirty piece of coal made for the fire to becoming a beautiful diamond that refracts his light. Amen. And we're supposed to be lights in this world. And diamonds do refract light in this world. Amen. In, in some of those beautiful ways. They're amazing. These are pictures Silver, gold, diamonds, the most praised elements in the world are pictures, and so are pearls. So are pearls. You are to be like silver, to be gold, to be diamond, and not say, oh, I just, I'm going to take a bad way out of this situation and not follow the Lord anymore. Well, the Bible says hard is the way of the transgressor. You're still going to have hard times in the future. In fact, they're going to get worse and worse until you're separated from God forever in hell. That's not worth it. But Jesus says he gives a way of escape that we may be able to endure our trials. Amen. So we seek him through our trials and we're able to become like diamonds. We're able to become like gold. What about pearls? Why does he use pearls? Pearls are just an altogether different type of gem. And I love that diamonds are made differently than silver and gold. But pearls are the only gems that are made that are made from a living experience. They're the only ones that are created in the sea, but they're the only ones that, are, that we know of. They're the only ones that are made, I'm not saying not any others are made there, but uniquely made in the sea and made, through, or, and made through this living process whereby God uses an oyster to make this pearl. 
And it's not an accident that pearls are used here in New Jerusalem. And it's interesting because <laughs> uh, Jesus is just going to shine through us in so many ways, but Jesus talked about the pearl in more than one way, in more than one time. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 in your New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. And I, my prayer is that God will just get you excited about pearls, not where you go out and say, honey, I want to get a pearl. I want a pearl. I don't want my diamond ring. You got me all these years ago. Give me a necklace of pearls. That's fine too. But we get you excited about the fact that there will be a pearl in New Jerusalem all over. There'll be 12 of these huge pearls, but that you, in fact, are a pearl. There's going to be millions of pearls in New Jerusalem making up actually one beautiful pearl. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your what? Pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Wow. So it's interesting. Pearls are put there right in line with that which is holy, you know. And God's pearls are holy. So, and the, the Bible speaks of the beauty of holiness. There's nothing more precious in a person that loves Jesus than holiness, that they fear and love God. That makes a beautiful person. A beautiful woman, the Bible says, is not one who's one outwardly. It says, you know, in the scripture, you know, that a woman that lacks discretion is, you know, like a uh, nose ring, you know, in a pig snout. It's a waste of beauty. The Bible says charm and deceit are charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be what? Praised. Sisters, God wants you to live godly life. Man, he wants you to be holy. Sisters, he wants you to be holy. That's the beauty in God's eyes, those who become like Christ. Because God is the most beautiful being in existence. And he's pure love. God is love. And he's pure holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. And it's when we become like him that we become beautified. That which is ugly in the human world is that which is unlike God, isn't loving, unloving, unholy, wicked, putrid, disgusting. That's the world system without Christ. It's very ugly. It's filled with, you know, deceit and murder and wickedness and perversion. That's the world we live in, but we're called to be holy. Now, it's interesting. Now, go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 where Jesus speaks of pearls again. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy of it goes, of it or over it goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Wow. So a man goes in the field, he's like, this is, wow, this is cruising through the field. I don't know what he thinks much of the field, but boom, he sees something. And he, he's like, what's here? And he uncovers this incredible treasure. He's blown away. He's like, I can't just take this treasure. Might belong to the person in the field. I don't know. But he goes and he says, I'm going to buy this field. Goes and buys the field. Buys the entire field. So he get what? Get the treasure. That's based on a typology that Jesus is utilizing in the whole, you could read the book of Ruth, right? It's a powerful picture She's a Gentile. Nobody wants her. 
Just like you wouldn't want a pearl. <laughs> you wouldn't want a pearl if you saw what that pearl was before it was a pearl. It wasn't much to be treasured. Because pearls are made from like just a grain of sand. Like a water tick of parasite that burrows itself into the oyster shell. A worm. Ha! Oh, really good pictures of us before Jesus, by the way. It's not very beautiful at all. Well, this man buys the entire treasure. Wish he had time to get into it, but I'll only take like 30 seconds. Is Ruth sets his, uh, Boaz, who has money and power, sets his eyes on Ruth, wants to marry her, but he has to buy a field to get her because he's the kinsman redeemer. He's related to her husband who had died and she's destitute and he buys the field to get Ruth, who's the treasure, amen? God buys the world, amen, to get his treasure, the church. And the world, anybody in the world can become part of his church, whosoever will may come, amen, it's free. But the Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, that he is a propitiation, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He bought the whole world to get his treasure. You are treasured, man. It's a blow mind. But then it gets a little bit deeper after that. And that's a whole message in itself with Ruth, and I've done that before. And Boaz, uh, look at verse 45, the very next verse now. Again, Jesus says, he's going to say the same thing again, but in a different way. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Well, who's the one that bought the treasure to get the, who's the one that bought the field to get the treasure? Who bought the field to get the treasure? Jesus, amen. Who's a merchant seeking to find pearls? Jesus. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He left heaven, amen, to pursue you. This is all a picture, guys. And upon finding one pearl of great value, just like that one treasure or treasure chest, here he finds one pearl of great value, which I believe ultimately is a church. He went out and sold all that he had. What? Sold all that he had and bought it. Isn't that heavy? He went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now it's interesting because centuries, 5th century or so B.C., that was the first time we have writings about these precious, about pearls. And we have uh, the Red Sea not far from Jerusalem, where Jesus did a lot of his teaching in Galilee, was the Red Sea. And that's where pearls at that time were mined and known from coming. Now they're in the Persian Gulf area and so forth, but uh, they'd find a lot of them in the Red Sea. But what's interesting is they were of great value. Notice he finds a pearl of great value. It's important to understand, in the first century, in biblical times, diamonds were not a gal's best friend. Pearls were. Pearls were a diamond's a lady's best friend because they were so rare to have a beautiful pearl. It's like, well, pearls are so plentiful today. Yeah, that's because around 1900, Japanese uh, folks began to uh, uh, cultivate them and culture them and put little pieces of sand and different oysters and just make all, you know, and still they only get 5% out of the, the, the oysters that they plant these grains of sand and they only get 5% uh, sellable pearls. But in biblical times, it was a lot harder to get one. And the Japanese, I can tell you right now, they're not going to get any that are 250 feet in diameter. Okay. That would be the most, that'd be the most valuable jewel on the planet. Easy. No, no doubt about it. 
But guess what they would do or in biblical times? You couldn't, you, first of all, you couldn't just go look for pearls because you had to snorkel, right? You had to hold your breath. They didn't have scuba diving equipment. You had to just, and you have to go down at least 10 feet, but usually more to find a pearl. And by the way, when you find an oyster, usually there's not a pearl in it. Most oysters don't have pearls in them. It's when an oyster just happens to get embedded with a parasite or a piece of sand or some worm. So you just open it up and you're usually just getting oysters for food, but you could find an, a pearl once in a while, but usually they're not passable as this beautiful, perfect looking pearl. So one in 10,000 mollusk, which is where you get pearls, or uh, oysters, which are a type of mollusk, uh, you'd get one in about 10,000, they estimate, would have a pearl that was beautiful. So if you want a necklace of pearls, whoa, that's like 500,000 oysters you have to check, right? That's a lot of work. So an oyster was a big deal uh, that had a pearl in it that was a jewel. So they're hard to get to, and they were very, very rare. So they were, they were a woman's best friend in those days. And this merchant finds a pearl of great price. How great? He sells everything else he has. Whatever jewelry, whatever he has, whatever things he's selling, he sells it all to get that one pearl. Who's that a picture of, guys? That's a picture of our God, amen? It says he values you more than many sparrows. And we've talked about how Jesus said the Father sees the sparrows. And though you don't value them for that much money, he says he goes to their funerals. He sees when each one falls and dies. But you are much more valuable, he says. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Amen? That's amazing. God really cares about you way deeply, you know? You're made in his image. You blew it. I blew it. But he still loves us and wants to make us worms. Those of us who are made of sand or, sand or dust, dirt, right? Us former parasites into pearls. Well, what price did he pay? says in Acts chapter 20, he, God gave his own blood. Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his unique only begotten son. That blows everything else out, right? That whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. Revelation 1, 5 says that Jesus loves us and released us from our sins by his own blood. Wow. God the Father, God the Son gave their all to get you guys, to get us. I like going to church, seeing how much God loves me. How about you? I like talking about God's purposes in lives and the bigger transcendent plan that God has. It blows away the mundane things we go through in this life, but all those mundane things we go through in this life, God uses them in our lives to make us like diamonds, to make us like silver and gold, and to make us like pearls. Amen? But there's far more to it than I'm talking about at this point. And I think it's, uh, I'm excited about this. I'm very excited because that's the price that the jeweler paid. God's the jeweler. He's a merchant. And he determines the value of the jewelry. I remember when we were looking uh, with Mary, you know, church sold its land, you know, some time back. And uh, we talked about real estate and land and stuff. And we're looking for another piece of land maybe to build on. And, you know, talking to Mary, who's our secretary, Lisa's secretary, Mary's secretary, but she's secretary slash, you know, uh, realtor too. If you need good realtor, Mary's really good. 
give you that five bucks. Give me that five bucks later, Mary. Just kidding. But, uh, uh, but Mary says a piece of land is as valuable as someone will pay for it. Go, That's what we say in reality. It's, well, it's the value what people pay for it. It's how someone esteems something. Well, no one's a better evaluator, right? Than God himself, amen? And he values you, not because we are special in of ourselves intrinsically, but because we are made in his image, amen? And not because of what we become. We've, we've made a mess of things, but because of what he can do. See, that very passage, by grace you saved in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. We can't boast about being saved. It's his doing, amen, by his grace. Through faith, we have to put our trust in him. But and when he saves us, he's not done with us. Because the very next verse people sometimes ignore goes on to say, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the Greek word workmanship is the word poema, from which we get the word poem, okay? And some say, so, oh, we're God's poem. Well, not really. That word doesn't mean, it doesn't have to mean poem literally, but we're far more than God's poem, amen? We're living poems. We're, you know, he's the cornerstone. Now, this is something very interesting to follow. When the high priest has these 12 stones on his chest, ultimately representing the believer's, the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests in Revelation 1, 6, and a couple other times, Revelation 20, we're priests to God. We become like our high priest, but he's the high priest. We're never the high priest. We become like priests. He's called the chief cornerstone. We're called living stones. Notice that. We become like him. This is what's fascinating to me. There's so many fascinating things. I've talked about the oyster before and the, and the pearl, but I usually, I've done that three or four times in the years I've pastored. But I usually only spend a few minutes on it, three or five minutes, 10 minutes, I don't know, done it two or three times. Then no, I'm gonna have a whole message on it because there's so much here. God is a scuba diver, amen? He's the one that leaves heaven to find this pearl of great price, amen? He seeks us out. He finds a pearl of great value. Follow the picture. He gives everything he has. He gives his life on the cross and even pays for our sins to get us because we're not these beautiful pearls yet. While we were yet sinners, it says in chapter 5, verse 8 of Romans, God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? He's going after us while we're sinners. It's all, not only is salvation by his grace, but the transformation and sanctification, what he does in changing us is all by his grace. Amen? It's all about God's grace and his goodness. Amen? And how awesome he is. And that's why we need to always exalt Jesus for our, our very lives. Amen? for our very salvation, for the grace that we've received in him. We need to exalt him for what he's doing in us and always give glory to God. He is our redemption. He is our sanctification. He is our wisdom, amen. He is our reconciliation. He is our all in all. Give glory to God. Amen. Live your life giving him praise because every breath you draw is from him and your very salvation is from him and everything that's happening, what he's doing is from his great goodness. So he, he, it's, he loves you based on the fact that he made you in his, us in his image, but guess what? Just like the high priest receives a priest, just like the chief cornerstone has living stones built into him. You see that New Jerusalem, we're the living stones that radiate. And these huge pearls are pictures of believers. And what's gonna trip out? People are gonna trip out. I'll trip out of the gates like, these gates are crazy, but I'll trip out on you. I'll trip out mostly on the Lord, but I'll trip out like, wow, 
he saved these insects, these parasites, you and me, and made us into pearls. But this is the crazy thing. You know, how is a pearl formed? This is what you got to catch too. The Arabs said years ago, they felt this is how Arab, this is how pearls were formed. They said drops of dew come down from the heavens because dew drops from the heavens and they're infused with moonlight and when they hit the water, the ocean, that infused dew with moonlight is swallowed by an oyster and becomes a pearl. Anybody believe that? Doug, you're shaking your head no. No, you're right. You're right, bro. It's not true, okay? Absolutely not true, okay? I'm so glad it's not true. That'd be pretty cool, but I'm glad it's not true because what, what happens is far more radical, far more precious, far more beautiful. Now, uh, it's far more beautiful because, well, you've heard of, I've mentioned it before, but in passing, short little things, but it's, it's profound, is when that parasite burrows in, and it wants to be a parasite that feeds off of the oyster. The oyster says, no, 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 you're not going to do that. A lot of people just use God too. They use his resources. Humans are parasites. It's like the prodigal son using his father's inheritance. That's like the left. You know, they just want all the inheritance that God, they want everything that God made, but they will shine you though. We're living for ourselves. And that's a wicked way to live. That's the way a lot of fallen Christians lapse into a backslidden prodigal state, just using God's stuff. You know, sucking in his air, drinking his water, eating his food, and, and acting like you don't need him and that you're your own God as though you made everything. That's just pathetic. Repent if you're not following Jesus. You've got to get right with him. He wants you to be with him forever. Amen. But it's interesting because that oyster secretes an interesting element that we call nacre, N-A-C-R-E. And this nacre is secreted, and it secretes it around the parasite or the piece of sand to soften it and to create a barrier between the pain that that piece of sand or parasite or worm could cause the oyster. And then it, another layer of nacre, another layer of nacre, and it begins to soften that thing up and make it soft and, and smooth and beautiful. There's a lot going on here though. So it's interesting because it does this all in this like, you know, uh, hidden process. And nacre is made up of, and there's, of microscopic crystals. Isn't that interesting? It's made up of microscopic crystals known as uh, aragonite. And aragonite is formed uh, with some other elements at times, and specifically one of that helps it form, that, that is called nacre. And it just flows over this, this parasite or what have you. And it's interesting because it continues to flow over and over again, and it makes it acceptable to the oyster, makes it compatible with the oyster, makes it habitable where it can stay with the oyster, says we can share this home together now. But this is what's a trip is is what's happened to us? Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Paul was a parasite. He was a chief of sinners, right? What did Jesus do? 
He washed him in his blood. What does Jesus do with all of us, former parasites? The Bible says that he washed us. See, God is light, the Bible says. In him there's no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. He's light, there's no darkness. And then all of a sudden, here we are, and we're full of darkness. 1 John 1 goes on to say a couple verses later, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he continues to flow his love, which is his nature is his love, his blood, his precious sacrifice for us, over us. Think about it. And it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us what? From all unrighteousness. So he makes us more and more, he makes us acceptable through his shed blood and he beautifies us through his love and through his word. Amen? So something really, really heavy when you think about it. Now, it's also really heavy to me because I was mentioning to you, and I think this is heavy, that in Revelation, we become like him. He's our father. We become children. He's high priest. We become priest. We, uh, you know, we're, the Bible says, you know, Peter, he's chief cornerstone. We become living stone. Guess what? When he secretes this nacre, it's called the mother of pearl, right? That's what it's called. You ever hear the mother of pearl or the mother of pearl? The mother of pearl is part of the oyster, in fact, did you ever pick up an oyster and you look at it and the inside is like, you ever see the shininess of shells? The beauty, and they're just, I trip out. I love, I love seashells. When you're, you know, who doesn't? I think most people do. When, and nowadays, you know, I'm walking with my, if I'm walking with my grandchildren, I'll, I'll, you know, my wife's not as into them. Hey, look at this shell I got for you. Yeah, put it over there. You know, thanks. No, she's not like that. But, you know, you get older, you're not as into shells as maybe when you're younger. Some love shells still. I think they're still beautiful. But you give them the grandkids and they're shiny. It's that mother of pearl or that inside of a, uh, a oyster shell that makes it smooth and bright and beautiful. It's part of the oyster itself. But it uses part of itself. It sacrifices part of itself. What it could use to be its own beauty to beautify us. That's what the Lord did. He sacrificed himself, but also makes us what? Like him. Amen? See, the mother of pearl, that's part of the shell. He makes us like him. Do you understand? That's what God is doing in you. He's making you compatible with him. Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is what? Perfect. How do I be perfect? I, by his grace. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, be holy as he is holy. How can it be holy like you're holy? We, 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 nothing unholy will enter into the holy city. How can that happen? Through the forgiveness that we have through his nacre, his precious blood that was shed for us, amen, that covers our sins and actually takes away our sins, amen, and makes us righteous and makes us holy before him. Are you with me this evening? It's not evening yet. Just watch your clock, you know. You with me this morning more fittingly? He's preaching the evenings once a week as well. Uh, but think about this. Think this through, guys. When, when does this happen? I was really giving a lot of thought to this. When does this happen? When, where is that treasure? The whole, he buys the world to get his what? Treasure. The world doesn't see the treasure. God sees his treasure. The world doesn't see you, Christians, the church. I mean, all the news is, very rarely do you hear I mean, there's the, the millions of good deeds happening every day by millions of Christians everywhere. There's all kinds of people building hospitals and building orphanages and doing all kinds of wonderful things through the, on the planet for the last 
2,000 years, you know? And guess what? You never hear that report in the news. This Christian group went and all kinds of people that didn't have parents, they now have a place to stay and they're loved and, and this hospital was built over here. You don't hear that in the news. Because they don't treasure, they hate righteousness, they hate goodness. And they look for the exceptions and say, look at that over there. Look what that guy did. But God's got, he's got this treasure. Well, just like the treasure in the field, no one saw it. God saw it. Guess what's happening? No one sees what's going on. Those fish that swim over that oyster, they have no clue there's a pearl being made in there. Amen? The Bible says in Colossians 3.3 that our lives are hid with God in Christ. Amen? There's a hidden work going on in us. Amen? There's a hidden work going on in you. The world doesn't see it. But God wants to open up that oyster and he wants you to let your light shine so you can point to other people that there's a God who loves them and they can become they could become pearls as well. Amen. Amen. I also think it's really interesting that they're taken out of the sea. And in the book of Revelation, when you look at the sea, the many waters, they represent evil. And there'll be no more sea in Revelation 21, 22. And guess where the pearl's taken out of the sea? And look at what Revelation 21 says about the sea, or Revelation 17, verse 1 and 15. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. She sits on many waters, John. Yeah, what are the many waters? And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. He takes his pearl out of the many people's tongues. Just like he takes the treasure out of the field that he bought. Amen? Amen, Israel. Whoa, man. That's my prayers. People would have more, whoa, God, you're, man, Lord, you know, that we just trip out on him because he's a trip, you know, and he is, you know. So it's interesting. But to make us like him, he had to become like us. See, insects are unclean. A lot of them, the four-footed ones and stuff. Leviticus 11. Oysters are considered unclean. Leviticus chapter 11. God became one of us, amen? Although he became one of us, but he's pure and perfect, never sinned, amen? To produce us, he became one of us so that we could become like him. The Bible says he became sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God, amen? He does that through his nacre. God blows me away. And I, I, I specifically pray, like, you know, I'm not going, I don't have a commentary in Revelation 21, 21 that goes into the whole oyster and how it's made and all this stuff I'm talking about, okay? You know, I mean, if I wrote a commentary in Revelation, you'd be in trouble because it'd be like this big, you know, but it'd be huge. But I would put stuff like this in it because to me, this is just beautiful how the mind of God works and so forth. And by the way, we're called to become like Jesus, Amen. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Now, he bore with us, didn't he? We were those insects. We were those parasites. We were those pieces of sand that irritated him. And he's like, said, I could just get rid of this. God could have created some kind of 
thing in the oyster where this parasite comes in and, uh, you know, this, this piece of sand, and it's just a, like, it can just give an expulsion of, of water in some way, of sea, salt water, and just with a little shoot that shoots it out of the, he could have done that. But God said, no, I'm going to do something to show what I'm going to do with people that irritate me, people that hurt my heart, people that saw, saw, why persecutest thou me? that I'm going to love them and show my perfect patience. Paul was the chief of sinners. And Paul said that God showed in him a pattern of others, how they too be saved because he was patient with him and he's patient with you. He's patient with me. So we will become like him. And the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become what? New. If you saw what went into that oyster shell, burrowing in there, oh man, that poor oyster, a, a, a worm just you know, oh, that parasite cracked his shell and just, oh, that's poor oyster. No. Blessed insect. He's not going to eat that oyster. God will not be eaten by you. But guess what? He's going to transform you. And that's why as Christians, we're far different than when before we were saved, right? If anyone be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he has become a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. We're different. If you knew me, before Jesus, I was just, you know, not a good guy. You know, living for myself. Oh, I had friends and we hung out and some of my friends, you know, my main friends got saved later. Many of you met Steve Riley, Dave Nelson, who went to be with the Lord some years ago. Mike uh, Johnson, just talked to him a month ago. He lives in uh, Montana right now. Uh, my family members, you know. But I was a sinner. We were all sinners. And it's a trip because when people that knew me there's been a couple people that have called that knew me from the past that I wasn't close to because a lot of the close people I was to got saved. But Joe Schimmel is pastor there? I can't believe it. I mean, he was like this. Da, da, da. They'll give this horror story or something, you know. I'm like, oh, really? You know, yeah, that's how, that's how I was before Jesus, you know. And uh, one time years ago at Blessed Hope, we showed before and after. I had everybody bring their before and after pictures before Jesus. It was a mess. <laughs> but God changes us, amen? And it's just amazing. And But the people, when they hear about how I was before they knew me as a saved person, then they can't believe I used to be like that, you know? Same with you, or should be, right? If you're new in Christ, you're just not like you, you don't have the same foul mouth, you don't use a bunch of cuss words anymore. Hopefully you don't use any cuss words anymore, right? You don't, you know, you're not mean-spirited, you're not just living for yourself and, and, and hurting people as you live for yourself. We become different, but we become like Jesus. It says when he comes in 1 John chapter 3, it says he that has this hope of Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. So we have a responsibility to allow him to apply his nature, his love, and his blood to our lives. Amen? We have to come to him. Not to irritate him now, but sometimes it could be irritating probably with the Lord. Lord, and the Lord's like, man, I've, you've come to me this a lot of times, but yes, I'm going to cleanse you, but you need to be serious about your walk, and he'll make us new. Amen? And I love Romans 8, 28, 29. God works all things, not some, not most, but all things, everything you go through, all things for the good for those who love him, you know, the call to quote his purpose. And the next verse, for him who he foreknew, this is how he works it for the good, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen. He's making us like Jesus, like the mother of pearl. He's coating us with his love and making us more and more like him. And this is very, very important. And by the way, it's not, this message isn't just about, wow, I need to go home and just bask in the wonder of God's love and like, wow, whatever I'm going through, he's, it's like nacre, he's blessing me, he cares about me, and that's amazing. Yes, that should happen, but guess what? 
You need to apply this to your life. How would you apply this to your life? Praise toward God for sure, right? Telling others about the wonders of his love, right? For sure, those things, but guess what? Guess what? This is important to understand. There's another thing as I thought about this for our lives. You guys, there's all kinds of other people out there and how does God communicate his love and what Christ did on the cross? Through who? Us, amen? Amen. We share his love. We share the blood of Christ and then we help him in the process of making. The Bible says we're his hands and his feet. The Bible says as he was, so are we, or as he is, so are we in this world right? Jesus says, as I, the Father sent me, I send you. Amen? You get that? So we represent Jesus, his hands and his feet. And then we share his love and we share the blood of Christ. Amen? So we can make, help him make pearls. But guess what though? It becomes even more personal though. Guess what? Have you, do you have any, come on, don't look around. Don't elbow your husband or wife, but do you have some irritants sometimes in your life? People that seem like, oh, it's like a piece of sand stuck in my shoe, you know? Or, man, this person's like a thorn in my side. Or this person's like a parasite, man. They only talk to me when they want something. Don't just call people when you want something. Show some love. And don't say, oh, yeah, I should show some love to you. No, really, love people. Don't be all about yourself, amen? Now, you can call me when you want some. That's how people call me all the time. So I'm not talking about if you call me, I didn't think about that. If you call me, people need counsel, they need things all the time. That's usually how I get calls. That's fine, okay? Because that's part of my ministry, that's part of life. But I'm saying when you're close to someone, you know, don't be parasitical, be giving. But guess what? This is more about when people around you are annoying, are irritable at times. What did Jesus do with you when you were irritable? What did he do with you when you were a sinner? What did he do with you when you were anti-God? He was patient with you. Like the oyster with the piece of sand. With the oyster with the parasite. He didn't say, it's over. I'm just going to fry you right now. Can you imagine if an oyster had like just a a blowtorch? Every time a parasite came, you know. God didn't do that. God's patient. It says he's long-suffering. I should stick with the illustration I've written down. I get really weird when I do just (laughs) off-the-cuff illustrations, you know. But, you know, he would just be torching left and right, you know. But he... The oyster transforms. God wants you to give love, give time. How many of you just, you know what, I just don't even want that. That person just, don't do that. Now, if a person refuses to change and they continue, I'm not talking about your spouse. You stay with your spouse if you don't have grounds, right? But I'm talking about someone in your life and they just continue to, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. There's that teaching too, amen? But relatively speaking to people that, will accept and you can continue to work with, continue to sacrifice, continue to give your time. Like the oyster, it takes years for a oyster to form a pearl. Don't think, oh, yeah, I did what Joe said. I gave him three seconds and they were the same way 10 seconds later. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Be patient like Jesus is patient. Give people time. Give them love. And you can't give them love from yourself because we don't have love of ourselves. It's a fruit of the Spirit, so we have to be close to God. And the Holy Spirit has to be filling us. We need to be seeking God. And if, guess what? And if you're like, and this is really important, this is pretty profound when I think about it. When you don't have love for other people and you don't have patience for other people and you don't give them time, guess what? You have to wonder, am I still a parasite too then? Or am I really being transformed? Because when you're being transformed, right? By the mother of pearl, by the nacre, and you're cleansed and you're being transformed and more and more like Christ, guess what? That means your reactions toward others should be more beautiful. 
should be more patient. Amen? More long-suffering. And you should be giving them love. So don't say, well, I'm a pearl and you're not. Nope, that's not the pearl's attitude. Pearl's like, I'm going to try to make pearls too. I'm going to be patient with this person. I'm going to love this person. The Bible talks about the husband. Husbands, how did Christ make us pearls? Ephesians 5. He gave himself for us, amen, to present to himself a, a church without spot or wrinkle, right? A radiant church in all her glory. But then guess what he says to husbands? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Meaning you give the nacre that he gives to you to your wife too, just like he gives it to the wife. Amen. You treat her like Jesus treats her. Oh, and the unborn. My wife's not a believer or my husband's not a believer. Oh, it says in 1 Corinthians 7 that the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. Coat them with their nacre. Well, my kids, Joe, my, I can do it with my spouse. My kids, I just want to pull up. Well, guess what? The Bible says that, that you, as a believer, sanctify your unbelieving children. Amen? Just love them. Show them the grace of Christ. Show them what it means to be a pearl and not a parasite. Be patient. God was patient with you. These are your kids, for heaven's sake. Amen? Love them. Be patient with them. Are you with me today? There's this process of sanctification that we need to grow in. Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. So as he changes our hearts, we bring those things forth and apply them to other people. Amen? What are the good things? The fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. You know, we become more like Christ. And Jesus says, you freely received. You freely received his nacre, his love, his blood freely give now. Praise God, I'm glad I'm not just sitting around and you're not just sitting around trying to be a pretty pearl. No, God just wants to use you. He's not even done. We're not even these beautiful pearls yet because he hasn't totally transformed us the way he wants to. But we're far more, less like parasites than we were, amen? And we're far more like pearls because it's a process that God is involved in. And it's important that we understand how important this is. Men, I'm encouraging you men in this fellowship. If you're in this fellowship and you're a man and you've been in this fellowship longer than a year or two, you ought to be ministering to others by now. You ought to be sowing in the lives of others. Paul said, in, or the author of Hebrews said in chapter 5, that, you know, you guys ought to be teachers by now. And you can't even take meat because they have to still give you milk. We ought to be building each other up, encouraging each other in the faith. Amen? Strengthening each other. God wants this, this church to be, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, a bunch of busy bees, feeding on God's word, right? And bringing it back to the hive, encouraging each other, strengthening each other, amen? I can't just say those kinds of things and you not do it. We have to do these things. And sisters, the Bible says in Colossians, or Titus chapter two, that you're supposed to what? Encourage older sisters, teach the younger sisters, amen? Are you doing that? If you've been a sister in the Lord for two, three years or whatever, you ought to be sowing in the lives of the new sisters that come in. We need to be discipling one another, amen? The Bible says we need to, the Bible says you're competent to counsel one another. But you can't counsel one another if you don't know God's word. You need to be in his word, amen? But you need to also walk in the communicable attributes of God. Jesus says, or Paul says, to forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. And to show compassion as he's loved you, so love one another. The nacre that he's poured upon your life, you need, and I need to pour on others' lives, Amen? Can we do that? Can you not only leave here saying, praise God, wow, I can't believe New Jerusalem, it's a blow mine, what God's doing and how we fit in and how the, the miracle of the pearl and what God's doing, the pearl of great price and Jesus teaching on this, wow, that's awesome. But you also say, guess what? I need now to be his hands and feet, amen? 
and pour that love out to other people that are hard to get along with and people that aren't so hard to get along with and everybody. I need to continue to show the love of Christ, amen? You have people at work that don't know Jesus that need to be covered by and washed by the blood of Jesus so they can become pearls, amen? People in your community, people around you. You have, people, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who, guess what? They're true brothers and sisters, but they need more love. They need to be patient with them. I praise God for this fellowship because so many people just, I see a lot of love here. Let's continue to grow in that love and be all that God's called us to be, amen? Let's be bright pearls for the Lord. Revelation 21, 27, the last verse in 27. Verse 27, nothing unclean will enter that city. Guess what? He's not leave, left us unclean parasites, amen? He became one of us as a God-man so he can make us clean, so we can enter into his kingdom. And so the beautiful pearlness that makes up God, we become like him. What a glorious truth. Let's all please stand up. We'll pass out the cup and the bread.